<clears throat> so good morning, Sangha. Can everyone hear me? So for these days during the morning instruction, we have gone pretty well through the first three foundations or establishments of mindfulness as found in one of our very root texts, root suttas of our tradition, the Satipatthana Sutta. We know that the first one is mindfulness of the body. The second foundation is mindfulness of feeling tone or vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The third is mindfulness of mind, heart and mind, how thoughts and emotions show up in the body and in the mind. And the fourth foundation, which I'm going to do a little guided meditation today, is called Mindfulness of Dhammas, or Mindfulness of Common Mental Objects. And in that uh, great retreat I was able to attend last week with one of our Satipatthana scholars of early Buddhist texts, there's two things that are in the fourth foundation that show up across, uh, you know, a comparative analysis of the earliest Buddhist text of what the Buddha taught. And those are two things, and that is mindfulness of the five hindrances and mindfulness of the seven factors of awakening. And just to remind us all, the five mental hindrances, and they're called hindrances because they hinder us um, in our meditation practice. And, you know, this is what the Buddha saw in his own mind. So this is not something shameful. This is just what happens if you're a human being. It's very common. And there are two um, pairs that are kind of opposite of each other. And that is um, the hindrance of greed or wanting wanting something to be happening that's not happening. Or maybe you're thinking about something that you want. There's just some greed in the mind. And we say that term greed, even though it's pretty pejorative, with a lot of love, because it's not personal. There's probably, you know, as... um, our neuroscience tell us some connection to the amygdala and just staying alive as humans, right? So greed in the mind and its opposite aversion or pushing away or hate or ill will in the mind. 
that's what the Buddha saw in his own mind. It's very common. And then two other sometimes opposite things, which are sleepiness and drowsiness, or just a lack of clarity in the mind, kind of a sinking lack of alertness in the mind, or it could be just general sleepiness. And then what might be considered the opposite of that, which is restlessness, agitation, often experienced as excessive worry, thinking, thinking, not being able to sit, to settle down, just a lot of papancha, you know, proliferation of thoughts in the mind. That's what the Buddha saw in his mind. Being human is like this. We all have it. And then the fifth hindrance is doubt. Doubt in the mind. You know, on the night before his enlightenment, or right before his enlightenment, the Buddha was sitting there about to become an arhat, about to be fully enlightened. And Mara, you know, I love that he named his delusion that came to visit him, Mara. Mara came to visit the Buddha and said, Who do you think you are, Buddha? Why do you deserve to be totally free? Why do you deserve to be a fully awakened being without suffering? And he recognized, wow, this is a big delusion in my mind that's visiting me. And in response to that, he touched the earth. And he told Mara, the earth bears witness to how many times I have been reborn working on this path of awakening. The earth bears witness to my right and all humans' rights to awakening. And then Mara said, oh, shucks, okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're right. And then he became fully awakened. But that was an element of self-doubt, not doubt in the path or in the practice, but in our right. So if any of us have any doubt or any... If Mara comes to visit us, and Mara does... He comes to visit often. And isn't it interesting that Mara is actually a male pronoun? It sounds like a female pronoun, but it's not. So when Mara delusion comes to visit us, it's always nice to try to personify it so we can feel 
because it comes in thoughts, but it also comes in feeling tone. It also comes with an energetic vibe in our heart and in our mind. And so sometimes we can't see it. It pervades our uh, perception. It's a vipalasa. And we can, it's like, it colors the water of our perception so we don't see clearly. So it's an energetic, mental mind state that also manifests as thoughts and emotions. So I think we're invited to, when Mara visits us and tells us that we are worse than everyone or sometimes better than everyone and asks, you know, what right do we have for happiness and for well-being? We can touch the earth and say, I have the nature to awake. This is my birthright. So those are the five hindrances. And then the last one are the seven factors of awakening. And these are a very present time example of our mind temporarily free from greed, hatred, and delusion. It's what a mind, an awakened mind, looks like and feels like. And we have the opportunity to experience that, to get used to that, to savor that. So after the, the hindrances are thought of as the breakers, as we're swimming with our canoe out to the calm of deep waters, we first have to get through the breakers where the waves get stronger as they get to the shore. And those are considered the hindrances. But once we have canoed past or surfed past the hindrances, we come out to the calm waters of the open ocean. And we have an opportunity to experience the seven factors of awakening. And those factors are mindfulness. That starts the process strong and clear mindfulness and with mindfulness in the mind that leads to a strong arising of investigation or interest not conceptual investigation but just a bare attention 
of what's happening in this moment. Mindfulness needs to investigation and interest. And you can savor what does interest feel like in the mind. And interest in investigation leads to energy and effort. It's like it's a natural unfolding of effort and energy as the lawful process of coming to awareness. We can feel that our energy is strong and our effort is effortless. It's not our egos doing it. It's another part of these hearts and minds that are producing effort and energy. And with mindfulness, investigation, and energy, joy arises. Joy and rapture. And this is a flavor in the mind as well. Sometimes it could just feel like everything that we're seeing is funny. This is so funny and interesting. The most mundane thing cracks us up. Sometimes we feel it in the body as little sprinkles of joy or little sprinkles of pleasant feeling. Or it's more just the flavor of the heart-mind. Happiness. So with mindfulness, investigation, energy, and joy comes tranquility. Just this sense of calm and stability. That too is a mind state of effortless relaxation. Just letting go of tension and a sense of very pleasant ease in the heart, mind, and body. And when all those factors arise, Concentration arises. The ability to stay with a particular anchor or focus of our attention, whether it be an open awareness of resting in spacious awareness and seeing the beginning and endings of thoughts or sensations or feeling tone or the ability to stay with a pleasant sensation in the heart, mind, or body. And then when all of those six factors are alive, 
and present, equanimity arises. The mind state that accepts everything, that doesn't chase after pleasant or doesn't reject unpleasant. that knows all are just a manifestation of this human existence. Realizes this exquisite club that we are all members of. This exquisite club of humans and of all beings on the small planet, accepting it all. So let me guide you through the four foundations of mindfulness. So, mindfulness of the body. The skin, the skin that envelops this being, skin from the top of the head all the way down to the tips of our feet. Skin. and flesh this flesh that we share with all sentient beings from the bottom of our feet the tips of our toes all the way up the top of our head, flesh, and bones, bones from the top of our head, all the way down to the tips of our toes. Resting the mind on the body just as the body is resting on the chair or the cushion. Skin, flesh and bones And then earth element, hardness, solidity, density, earth element from the tops of our heads, 
all the way down to the tips of our toes. Earth element. Earth element internally, earth element externally, all the same. Water element, liquid, fluidity, cohesion, water element from the tips of our toes all the way up to the tops of our heads. Water element flowing cohesion water element internally water element externally all the same fire element heat temperature maturation fire element from the tops of our heads all the way down in this whole body to the tips of our toes temperature heat, digestion, maturing, fire element internally, fire element externally, all the same. Air element Wind, breath, pushing, air element, the tips of our toes, all the way up to the tops of our heads, air element, breath, oxygen, space, and these entire bodies, air element internally, air element externally, all the same. Feeling tone. unpleasant sensation any from the top of our heads all the way down to the tips of our feet unpleasant feeling tone unpleasant vedana 
any in the body. Neutral feeling tone, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. From the tips of our toes all the way up to the tops of our heads. Neutral feeling tone, neutral Vedana in these bodies, in these hearts, in these minds. Pleasant feeling tone, pleasant sensations from the top of the head all the way down to the tips of the toes. Pleasant sensation. in any part of these physical bodies, in any part of this heart-mind. Pleasant sensation. Mindfulness of mind. Holding the mind and our attention, the heart-mind, while resting in the body. Is there desire in the mind? Is there no desire in the mind? Knowing no desire. Savoring no desire. Is there desire in the mind? Knowing this is desire. Imperfect impermanent, impersonal. Knowing desire, knowing no desire. Is there aversion in the mind? Pushing away. Ill will. Knowing aversion. Aversion is like this. Knowing no aversion in the mind. Knowing a mind free of aversion. Freedom of aversion feels like this.
imperfect, impermanent, impersonal. Knowing if there is confusion or delusion in the mind. Confusion feels like this. Delusion feels like this. Knowing if the mind is free from delusion, if the mind is free from confusion. An undiluted mind feels like this. An unconfused heart-mind feels like this. Imperfect, impermanent, impersonal. Our exquisite club of the range of human experience, of experience of sentient beings. Seeing the changing nature and in the impersonal aspect of what is the heart-mind experience. Contemplation of dhammas, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Knowing if sensual desire is present. Wanting some pleasure of the body. knowing whether sensual desire is absent. Knowing if anger, ill will, or aversion is present. Anger, ill will, and aversion feel like this. Imperfect impermanent and personal. A mind free from aversion feels like this. Is there sloth and torpor in the mind? Or is the mind alert and bright? Is there restlessness, papancha, worry? Or is the mind free from restlessness and worry? Is there doubt in the mind? 
our confidence and trust. Seeing mindfulness in the mind and setting an intention, may strong mindfulness arise. seeing effort, seeing interest and investigation without conceptual overlay, just direct, bare attention and bare interest in what's happening in this moment. Feeling the Effortless effort and energy of practice unfolding. Feeling the joy the rapture Opening to the energizing tranquility, the sense of rest and ease. The concentrated concentration collectedness of mind, the ability to rest in spacious awareness, or the ability to stay with an anchor and the equanimity of mind acceptance of it all, of this exquisite club of experience. Impermanent and impersonal. Feeling the seclusion the protection of the seven factors. The disenchantment and dispassion towards 
conditioned experience, the letting go, letting go, letting go. and resting in awareness.
Any questions, comments, or insights you'd like to share? I want to say one other thing. So um, right now there's a huge movement out there for something called knowledge democracy. And I think it's totally applicable to what we're doing here. We're doing cognitive justice here. We are privileging another way of knowing. We're privileging another knowledge system that has been pretty much not valued and thought of as primitive. And uh, so we are proponents of cognitive justice. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yay! Cognitive justice, their mindfulness. And we're decolonizing greed, hatred, and delusion. We are. You know, we are turning against all of these ways that we are commodified and, you know, post-commodity, post-colonial, post-patriarchy. We are decolonizing patriarchy. And yeah. but in a very loving way we are replacing it with love and care and our understanding of our deep interconnectedness and an appreciation of this mother that we live on and our relatives, you know, the two-leggeds and the four-leggeds and the winged ones and finned ones, and even the creepy crawlers and that wonderful winged one at the window there. <laughs> Questions, comments, insights? Yes? I just want to thank you for the practice and, um, and how you laid it out day to day Guess who did that? (laughs) I should put this here. (laughs) And you. (laughs) He's pretty cool. Back there and then there. Um, I would say as long as you can, I think as long as you can do it, I mean, I would say for daily practice, I like a 45-minute set. That's what I'm used to, what I've been trained in with our tradition, but... Um, <laughs> yes, of course, of course. You know, we all have lives, right? And... Uh, I would say as long as you can do, but don't, you know, shake your finger at Mara if it's telling you that you're not doing it, you know, enough. But, you know, if wisdom is telling you that this is really the source of your well-being, you know, make enough time for that well-being to be cultivated. Because it's not only for us, you know. We know that many of us are like the, um, you know, the stalwarts or the, foundation of well-being for our families and our communities as well so it's not just for us is there a reason of 45 minutes 
I don't really know. Does anybody have an answer to that? Do you guys know? I think that's a convention, but, uh, you know, I think um, longer is fine, particularly if you're resting in jhana. You know, there's stories in the suttas of the monks, like, idly chattering with each other and just gossiping, and he would walk by and he said, why don't you go rest in jhana? (laughs) I love that. It's jhana is a, a very highly concentrated state, but he was essentially saying, "Go rest in meditative pleasure." Like, and you know, I, I'm hoping that you know all of us got a little taste of that. It's really sweet, boy. I really, when you're, whenever you're guiding for Pascal, it's like a totally different experience. Like starting on my own. Well, um, Analio has, I actually, you know what, I actually downloaded and had it transcribed on Rev.com the last couple of days. I'll send it to you guys. It's not as good as what he did last week because it, it was something that he did a few years ago. But it's on Dharma Seed, so you could listen to that. And I am essentially doing what I learned absolutely from him last week. And his was brilliant, boy. It was really very impactful for me. And that's why I'm offering it here. It's really excellent. And he, you know, does, he's done um, comparisons of polytext with the Agamas and the Chinese and come up with really what he thinks exactly the Buddha taught, which, you know, is what we all want to know. Did you have a question? I have a comment. Yeah, a comment, yay. Um, I just feel very human and in a good way, in a connected way, and it changed your the hindrances. It changed my relationship to the hindrances completely because I see them as making me feel connected rather than separate. Excellent, yes. Well, that's the truth of it, right? They're impersonal. And we, you know, I'll tell you the story that kind of helped me with that. So I, um, you know, I'm kind of an old woman, and I love that. And uh, I'm engaged. I don't know if I told you that. Yay! And, uh, and, you know, you know how it is with relationships. They're interesting. They're conditioned existence, but they can be wonderful. But they're conditioned existence. And um, so I, uh, you know, I winked at this guy on match because he was a Buddhist and because he worked for a tribe in the Pacific Northwest and... You know, I dated him for a couple years, and he had never been married. He had taken care of his mother, you know, until she died. So he was definitely, you know, not used to being in a committed relationship. But, you know, he was just not very committed. And then within a couple weeks, he found out that he had pretty severe prostate cancer and colon cancer within, like, a couple weeks. And he's fine now. He really actually had excellent health care. He's fine. But that totally changed him. And, you know, the thought came to my mind, wow, this is so interesting. I'm going to stick around with him for this. And, you know, I teach public health, and I know cancer is like one of the leading causes of death of anybody. And my first thought was, wow, I'm part of this exquisite club now that knows cancer so personally. And I just felt part of such a bigger, you know, community then. It's like... And it was both precious, it was difficult and interesting and very precious. So 
everything makes us part of an exquisite club, you know? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's an insight. I love it. Yes? Uh, I have two comments. The question about 45 minutes meditation. I was at a retreat with um, where Judson Brewer was also speaking and it was 40 minutes and he gave the offering that it takes you 10 minutes to settle down and then you have a good 30 minutes of, of practice. And that was his reason for 40 minutes. And uh, the other comment is that I also thank you for a beautiful presentation on the pillars of mindfulness and um, so well organized and Thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you. I, you know, teaching is an interesting thing. You know, part of it is really great. And it's been a very unusual teaching experience here. I told, you know, our team here, Jill, Janet, and Pascal, that for some reason, I think it's all of you guys. And there has, it, this has been a really meaningful teaching experience for me as well. I felt like I have been in deep practice more than many other times that I've taught, even like a month-longs and six-week retreats. This has been really meaningful for me. So thank you all so much. Thank you all so much. Deep gratitude going all the way around. (laughs) So there, yeah. said she said that we should do a little chat right now what do we want cognitive social justice when do we want it now (laughs) what do we want cognitive justice let's do it what do we want cognitive Cognitive justice justice. when do we want it now (laughs) there I just like the bumper sticker (laughs) I love it mindfulness is cognitive justice yeah, and if you actually Google cognitive justice, there's a huge amount written out there. It's all about all of these knowledge systems that were killed by a belief in just one way to develop knowledge. You know, the Western, the Western uh, scientific knowledge structure, it, tri- it tried to kill off a lot of other ways of knowing. And now they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many important ways to understand the world and we have to invite them all back in. It's beautiful. Yes? It was wonderful that you took us to joy. So often uh, get preoccupied with suffering as part of practice. And uh, had a real lovely experience of joy. And even the cardinal was singing oh. at that moment. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's another thing that's kind of a a really important emerging thing about the difference between worldly and unworldly Vedana. Joseph has been talking about it, and Analio, you know, our scholar, monk, has been talking about it a lot. He's saying that resting in joy and that pleasure 
is onward leading. That'll take us to awakening. So we can just sit here blissed out, you know. You know, there is definitely, but actually it's not until you go from uh, the third stage of enlightenment to full enlightenment that you let go of actually attachment to meditative bliss. So we got a ways to go. (laughs) So we probably don't need to worry about it now. We can just have fun. Well, it didn't last. (laughs) It what? It didn't last. Oh, it didn't last. Well, well, you know, let me tell you, because actually Pascal had this brilliant insight that what usually happens is we'll sit in one, you know, really excellent sit where we'll be all blissed out, and then we'll want that to happen again. And that's how we get attached to it is wanting the next sit to be like that. And, you know, one thing we know for sure that meditative bliss like that is kind of an anatta or selfless experience. It comes out of, uh, you know, the natural unfolding of the path. And if your ego really wants it, that's the exact opposite of what will actually make it happen again. So you have to let go of the ego of wanting it because the ego is the exact opposite of that experience. It's interesting. Yes? Is it just awakening and having no suffering? Is that basically what? You know, that's what that's what An- An- uh, said last week, which was the first time I had really heard anybody say that. Had you heard anybody say that, Pascal? Say what? You know, that the seven factors are the closest thing that we could come to experience a mind-free. Well, there's two things. You were saying it so beautifully the other day. Do you want to say it? We just have a few minutes. No, no, please go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is... um, Well, actually, if you Google, you could Google something called the progress of insight. There's a lot written about the four stages of enlightenment and what they look like. But, you know, it's very true that they don't happen to anybody, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Enlightenment doesn't happen to anybody. It happens a lot, but it doesn't happen to anybody. Impersonal. What? Impersonal. It's impersonal. It's a very impersonal thing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, all, actually, a lot of times when teachers get together, one of our favorite questions is, tell me about your enlightenment experiences. So we talk about it pretty regularly, I think. Temple, and your class was really big on that. You guys always are asking, well, tell us about your enlightenment experiences. And, uh, you know, while I was in college, I was a labor coach, a doula at an American Indian clinic. And um, so I've gone to many, many births. I don't have any children myself. I have nieces and nephews, but I've been to a lot of births. And I think enlightenment experiences are like that, in that the same thing is happening all the time, but they look absolutely different. Everyone has its very unique characteristic. But I think a very similar thing is happening. And it is, it's, uh, you know, that's a huge question. Go ahead. Well, just uh, uh, one, one way, there's, there's a lot of debates about it and stuff, but uh, it's just one thing that, that helped me understand uh, the practice that we're doing, is that uh, if we think in terms of the hindrances, for example, you know, these difficult mind states, so sometimes uh, they will abate, 
they will disappear. They won't be in there. You know, there won't be this greed for something, rejection, you know, blase energy or too much energy and the doubt. You know, it will. And so there, there is a what we could call a momentary uh, nirvana. We could, you know, if we feel free to say it like this. Yeah. But what we're interested in in long term in practice is to uproot. Uh, the, the ignorance that makes these returns. So we don't want them to be just dormant or, uh, you know, aside and while there's joy for a little while and then suddenly like, oh, did I get it right? Am I going to keep it? You know, we want a deep, deep understanding that things are impermanent, that things are not personal, so much so that it's called uprooting. The, so there's no, no more the, the roots for this to arise in the heart. Sorry? Just enjoy it for the moment and let it pass. Yeah, but a deep, deep understanding that what's happening is not personal. You know, sometimes we have this like, oh, yeah, it's not personal what happened between me and this person. It's good, it feels good, but we want something that has more, uh, is a deeper understanding of this so that we're not fooled anymore. We know it's not personal what's happening and we can take care of it. So. It's time to uh, our last day of of um, meetings, sharing the Dharma together one on one. So, thank you all so much, and see you on the path. So it's also the last day of uh, practice in silence, the last day of meeting and practice in silence, extremely precious. We didn't take time to ask you how went the day yesterday because it was a new adventure, a new experience. And uh, so we're doing this again uh, today, so I just want to name this. So for some of us, probably we got lost a little bit in habits of mind yesterday, you, you know, without having the structure. we starting being who we habitually are or uh, spending time how we habitually do. So it's, uh, it's, um, we raised the bar a lot yesterday, so it's good to name it, you know, because uh, self-practice is not easy. Now we still have the community and there's points where we come back together, but there's a two hours that is open. This is extremely challenging. And for you, it might feel extremely like, oh my God, now I can really practice. Like it's more intuitive, it's, it's my own rhythm. But for some of us, it might be very... Uh, so it's good to be aware of this and make a commitment together. We're a community of practice here today. So it's not like, oh, two hours, you know, let me worry as much as I want. And no, stay, there's four foundations. We've been like really pointing at them a lot. So this is wise attention. Where does wise attention go? Not into next week and the rest of my life, and I'm, I'm going to apply this, and I'm going to teach that, and, you know, whatever you're making of it, drop that, you know, here. The four foundations are present base. They cannot be uh, experienced later, you know. It's, 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 they all have in common to be uh, arising now, operative now, the body now, the mind now. You know, and the Buddha said that. What is an excellent day? He said, you know, the the past not there, the future inexistent. Here now, take care of what is happening here now. This is an excellent use of time. So that's what we're valuing here today. So yes, 
enjoy it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.